as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, also a Big Shiny Robot. And you know, we've only got one movie to review this week. It's A Monster Calls, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the good news is, it's great. Uh, so yeah. that'll kind of leave you with a happy note. Unfortunately, we're going to have to end this uh, with our... We did our five best movies last week, uh, so this time we're going to do our five worst. And uh, I'll explain a little bit more when we get closer to that, because Andy and I kind of get to do some fun things with the uh, the worst movies of the year. And we'll just yes, we leave do. it at that. Uh, so yeah, Monster Calls. Now this is based on the awards-winning kind of a kid's book. Uh, the movie definitely has its aim towards a younger audience as far as some of the themes that are developed. But I wouldn't recommend it for really small children. Uh, we had a it, friend on Facebook. Young asked, adult. Young yeah. adult, I think, is young adult. teens, as, as they are sometimes called. Yeah, And, and maybe 8 or 9 or 10 when mm-hmm. children kind of get old enough to understand more complex emotions and the, the idea of death. Uh, but anyway, this stars uh, Louis McDougal, who is fantastic. I can't wait to see what this kid's going to do next. Yeah. Uh, he is Connor O'Malley, and he's he's having kind of a rough life for a young kid. Or, like they say at the beginning of the movie, he's not quite a kid, but not old enough to be a man. He's kind of in that prepubescent bleh, stage. Yeah. Um, he's putting up with bullies at school. Uh, his father, played by Toby Kebbell, lives in America with his new wife, and so he never sees him. Uh, his grandmother, played wonderfully by Sigourney Weaver, uh, is very up, uptight, kind of very stereotypical, almost British nanny type thing. Um, but worst of all, his mother Lizzie, uh, again, played wonderfully by Felicity Jones, uh, she's she's kind of deteriorating from cancer, and she's going about doing these different treatments, and it's making her more sick and more sick. Uh, he's also an artist, this uh, young Connor. He takes after his mom, and one night while he's drawing at 12.07 a.m., the uh, there's this big yew tree out in the middle of the cemetery in the churchyard, way down the road. Uh, comes to life, rips open his window, and says... He's here to tell him three stories, and at the end of that, Connor must tell him a story and also reveal a great unhidden truth. A hidden truth, excuse me. Uh, and Connor first thinks, oh no, this was a dream, this was crazy. Then the monster comes back the first night, and the next night and tells him a story. And he starts to wonder, is this reality? Is this all a dream? Meanwhile, his life just keeps getting worse, his mom keeps getting worse. And yeah, I don't really want to say too much more because... As emotional and wonderful as this movie is, I went into it completely blind. I've, I've never read the book. Um, I, I saw one trailer and maybe two TV spots, and for the love of God, do not watch them because they almost come across like it's a horror movie. In fact, a co-worker today, I was talking to him about it. He's like, oh, I don't want to see that. I don't like horror movies. I'm like, it's not a horror movie. Um, so, yeah, it, anyways, Andy, what do you think about this? Because I was raving about it last night, and you rushed down to go see it this morning. Yeah, this is one of the worst marketed movies I've seen aimed at kids uh, since Frozen. I mean, you remember when Frozen came out? And it's oh, like, yeah. Oh, it's a funny snowman and a, and a reindeer movie. No, not at all. Nowhere in there was it like from the Tony winning uh, people behind the Book of Mormon and Avenue Q from... Uh, the people behind the little mermaid and you know, they did not set it up as a Disney princess movie. And it absolutely was. 
And this movie, yeah, they, they make it look like it's a scary movie when instead it is this beautiful fairy tale and fable. And uh, I think the movie that it compares most well to, especially this year, is Kubo and the Two Strings. Mm -hmm. It deals with very complex emotions. It is scary. But it's about this boy dealing with grief and loss and Mm -hmm. the possibility of him losing his mother. And he's already more or less lost his father, uh, who lives in America. And he hates his grandmother, and she kind of hates him. And it, this movie is so beautiful. And speaking of beautiful, uh, there's a good 15 minutes of this movie that is told completely in animation. When the it, monster starts... Well. Yeah, the, the monster, who voiced by Liam Neeson, oh, by the I way. I totally forgot about that. I, I yeah. slipped my mind. But yeah, he's... Yeah. And he did the mocap for it as well. He's a he, he basically he looks like if you took Groot and crossed him with the Balrog from Lord of the Rings. And he's then got this kind of for good measure. Yeah, he's got this <laughs> kind of fiery core. And while he's a little bit scary, he can also be incredibly kind. And he has that voice that Liam Neeson does that goes between being really scary and beautiful and soothing. At the same time. Yeah, he goes from Taken to uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, like, in a split second. Yeah. So, but while he's telling his stories, there's this beautiful watercolor-inspired animation. And the stories that he's telling, they're allegories for what Connor is going through. And reveal these great truths about humanity and about perspective and about point of view. It's just absolutely gorgeous and and bring tissues uh, because this is going to just wreck some people but it is absolutely amazing and i was completely floored by it and i can't i just can't believe how bad they effed this movie up in not in the movie at all but in rolling it out this movie should have been a thanksgiving movie this should have gone, this should have bit the bullet and said, heck no, we're going to go right for Harry Potter. We don't care that we're going up against uh, Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. This is a 800 times better movie than that. Yeah, And, and they, they could have done incredibly well. I don't think they could have gone up against Moana, but they, they could have done far better. Yeah, and this was directed by Juan Antonio Garcia Bayona, who also did the orphanage, which is you can really mm-hmm. see the the influence of that of the orphanage in this movie, um, as well as the the uh, the tsunami movie Impossible. Yeah, but yeah, this is just the most mismanaged uh, marketing. I, you know, this actually has been a pretty bad year for that. We've had a lot of movies where things that were in the trailers or things that were in the spots weren't even in the film. And uh, as much as we loved Rogue One, even that had half the trailer wasn't in the movie, and that could have been Disney trying to you know. You know, with misdirection, so we would go in, you know, thinking we knew, had some idea what was going to happen, and finding out we didn't. Um, but yeah, this absolutely wonderful film. The acting's top notch. Like I said, uh, Lewis McDougal, who plays the young kid, you know, the whole movie rests on his performance, um, and slightly more so, uh, less so on uh, Liam Neeson, who e- even as mocap, you know, it's you get the idea that he's right there with the character doing things, and but no, he's. 
this actor hasn't done too much yet. Uh, you've, you, I'm sure when you see his face, you'll know like, oh, I've seen him in some movie somewhere. Um, but hopefully he'll he'll take his career farther than some other child stars have. The, um, the one other outstanding thing here is I think Sigourney Weaver deserves a, a Best Supporting Actress nomination for this. And, oh, yeah. and she has proven herself in 2016 to be like the most valuable actress out there. Less is more. She she's in movies for tiny seconds and elevates them to the next level. And she is next level in this. She's just absolutely amazing because you you hate her at, at the beginning and then you love her because you understand also the grief that she is going through. And there's there's this beautiful coming together between them, and only someone of her caliber of talent could could do that, or uh, a Helen Mirren, or or someone like that, and mm-hmm. it's just absolutely amazing, perfect casting. Yeah, perfect and that's that's one of the things that bounces back and forth in your head is this is being told from the viewpoint of of Connor, and even the way they film the movie, it's like when there's an authority figure in the room, the camera kind of tilts up, so you're looking up. Um, so you, you're getting really the perspective of Connor, but you have to imagine that as hard as it must be to for a child to lose their mother, how much harder is it for a mother to lose their daughter? I mean, parents aren't supposed to outlive their children. Yeah. That's kind of the rule of thumb, I guess you could say. But the one thing I'll say that's not really a slight against it because it's more about the journey than the destination. Like, I knew where it was going. I knew the last probably 20 minutes. You kind of know how it's going to end up and what's happening and why the, the monster's there and what the fourth tale's going to be. Because you've seen clips of it throughout the throughout the movie. Um, it doesn't make it any less emotional impacting. And, yeah, if you don't cry at the end of this movie, you, there's a problem with you. Um, either you don't have a soul or you voted for Trump, I can't tell. But yeah, This is uh, one of those Iron Giant-type Turing tests movies that you can, you can show people and be like, I gotta see if you're actually a sentient being who has human emotions or if you're just <laughs> in suit with a, uh, an automaton or underneath but yeah this is this is next level stuff and going back to what, what you were saying Adam the foreshadowing that they're able to do in this movie is beautiful normally that really gets lost especially in a translation of a book to a film but this movie really nails it and this was a movie I am, I was picking up on this, and I'm like, I can tell that's foreshadowing because I'm an adult, and I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about this movie two steps ahead because I can mm-hmm. see where it's going. But it made me think how much more amazing it was going to be to go back and watch it a second and third time and continue to pick up on those different layers. It's just, it's just absolutely beautiful the way that they've done it. Yeah. So again, don't, don't ignore the trailers if you've even seen one. Uh, go take, go check it out if you've got you know middle-aged children who understand the concept of death. Middle-aged children. Middle-aged children. <laughs> no, you're, you're kids. Kids aged. Uh, I mean, depending, more mature eight, nine-year-olds. 10 to 14, I think, is kind of the sweet spot here. Yeah, I just really, really hate the word tween, so I refuse to yeah. use it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, go go check it out. Even if you don't have kids and you just want to see a beautiful film about how to handle loss and how it can impact someone's life, definitely check this out. 
I'm at about a nine on this one. It, it's really, really good. Like I said, a little bit predictable. Uh, and kind of a, a bit manipulative because the way the music swells right at my moments to make you start crying. But in the end, I loved it so much I didn't care. Exactly. And there was nothing amazingly groundbreaking in this except the way that it was all put together. I, I'm at exactly the same spot. Nine out of ten. This was gorgeous. I, I wish they would have rolled this movie out better because no one's going to see it now because it's January and kids are back in school and everybody's dealing with their normal life. And if this had come out at Thanksgiving, I think it would have been not only a critical success, which it is, I think it would have probably done better in the awards season because it would have been on people's minds more as they're yeah. filling out the ballots. And I think it would have done better at the box office if they'd rolled it out. So, shame on you, marketing department at Focus Features. You guys really dropped the ball on this one. Oh, yeah, and I can I can speak for the, when we did the Utah Film Critic Association. We had our, our voting. Um, this didn't even get nominated for anything. But yet, every single critic who's reviewed it, um, that I've seen at least of the you know, couple dozen members, uh, everyone's loved it. Said it's one of their favorite movies of the year. But I, just because... They, it wasn't pressed. I mean, we got the screener and that was it. It wasn't like, oh, you know, you need to see this movie. Like, other ones gave us, they, they sent out, like, books and, you know, soundtracks. And, like, they push hard. Um, and it's funny because even on Facebook, every time there's an ad for Kubo and the two strings, it says, for your consideration for best animated picture. How they know that, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, just bad Facebook marketing. Facebook knows. Facebook, Facebook knows everything. Knows. They know everything. Uh, but yeah, excellent movie. Don't don't go see Underworld. Don't go see all that crap that's out there right now. Uh, go see this, and you know it's again, it's a very bittersweet movie. But you're gonna end knowing you saw art. Now, speaking of movies that are not art, uh, we're about to jump into uh, pretty quickly our our worst five movies of the year. Now, something fun. Uh, so there is the the anti Academy Awards. It's known as the Razzies. Uh, they meet, I think it's the night before the Academy Awards, to give out Worst Movie, Worst Director, Worst All That Fun Stuff. Um, Andy and I are both voting members of that group, so we yes. are in the middle of catching up on all the crappy movies we may have missed this year and submitting our ballots to then be voted upon. So Andy and I put together our list of five worst movies, and the funny thing is we actually have almost completely different films except for one. Only one yeah. made both of our lists. Um but before we get there, there was one dishonorable mention that Andy wanted to bring up before we start talking about these horrible films. Yeah, there's one thing I will, I refuse to call it a movie because it is not a film. It was shown in theaters and it was on all of the Razzie ballots. And uh, that was uh, 2016 Hillary's America, The Secret History of the Democratic Party. Um, which is the follow-up to Dinesh D'Souza's 2016 Obama's America, which, if if you were following me back four years ago, you will know that that was my uh, number one most hated thing of 2012. Well, it all came true, Andy. Yes, obviously it did come (laughs) true. Obama started a race war, took all of our guns, and uh, and is forcing people uh, to get himself for a, a third term and declaring martial law. All of that has come to pass. Dinesh D'Souza, who is a uh, a criminal, he has been convicted of 
violation of several federal campaign finance laws. That's right. He's giving money illegally to candidates. You should not believe anything this guy says. He's not a filmmaker. He's not even a propaganda artist. If you look at propaganda, even if you look at Michael Moore, there's some artistry there. Yeah, he's pretty much like the Alex Jones of the filmmaking world. Yeah, Dinesh D'Souza and Hillary's America are to film what Breitbart and Alex Jones are to news. It's just, it's fake. It's not. It's not. Uh, If if I were to if I were to consider this a film, it would have been my number one worst of the year. But it's not a movie. It's just a piece of garbage. Don't pay attention to it. Yeah, just for just forget it exists. Um, and then when your when your racist Trump supporting uncle tries to talk to you again about it and say what a great film it was, you can hey balls in their court now. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm just I'm sitting back and watching. I already I cast my vote and I made my voice heard and. Y'all ignored me. So you yep. have fun for the next four years. Yep. So, yep. but speaking of fun, this is, you know, the worst movies of the year. We're not really here just to tear them apart to itty bitty pieces. You've already heard our reviews. This is just kind of more fun to throw them out there and be like, this is why this movie is crap. And some of them actually, it's almost, there's very few, like maybe one movie on the list that was so bad that it's not even worth watching. But the rest you can at least have a few drinks and riff them. So, mm-hmm. um, Andy, what's your, what's your number five? My number five, I think that this is the film that encapsulates the spirit of 2016, and that is The Greasy Strangler, and that is the only yep, thing that, that I will say. It. Yeah, that, that about, <laughs> yeah, if 2016 was a movie, and actually there's a really great trailer on YouTube for 2016, the movie, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it yet, it's, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, that would be the movie equivalent of this year. Yep. And and that's all I'll say about that for a moment, and we'll we'll talk about it again later when when you bring it up, Adam. Yeah, it's it's a bit higher up on my list because. What, what's your number five? Uh, my number five uh, was the first movie of the year I actually gave a zero to, and that was Criminal. Um, it was the Kevin Costner movie where he's um, released from jail to go hunt down this hacker. And to be completely honest, I I don't remember all that much about it. In fact, I had to go go through the synopsis just because it was easily forgettable the one thing that i uh it did that just pissed me off to no end is the fact that at the end of the movie has a cool little twist and then winks the audience like look how smart i am you didn't see that coming did you and nothing angers me more than someone talking down to me uh especially a really stupid movie like this uh it's it's not entertaining and i guess maybe i was more upset because we were supposed to go uh see everybody wants some and i got the theaters mixed up and ended up at this piece of crap by accident (laughs) uh i mean kevin costner's okay in it but there's just nothing fun here it's dreary it's boring it's way too long and what was gary oldman doing in this movie he was chewing on so much scenery it's like someone turned up the gary oldman robot to 11 I don't know, like, did he, did he go, divorce me for, like, alimony? I don't know. <laughs> it was terrible. I I went back and watched this uh, this week. I, I watched several really bad movies this week, uh, the worst of the worst, to make sure mm-hmm. that my top five was, was right. And Criminal was one of those, and it didn't make it into my top five, but, yeah, that was, that was a piece of garbage. Uh, one of the ones that I did 
revisit that did make it into my top five is Kevin Spacey as a kitty cat in Nine Lives. Oh, that's that's one of the ones I did not. It's funny because I missed because due to work some of the a few screens this year, um, and that was one of the ones that actually that was the one they didn't even show us, but. Uh, I think the rest of your list are ones I happen to miss somehow, and I, I apparently I dodged like four more bullets. So Ugh, this was just terrible, and poor Robbie Amell. That guy needs a better agent. He needs to be in better movies. He plays Kevin Spacey's son, who's following in his uh, billionaire father's footsteps, and uh, when he falls into a coma and somehow gets turned into a kitty cat, he's trying to save his father's company from. Uh, Wall Street types who want to take it over and and sell it out. So it sounds like Collateral Beauty meets the Shaggy DA. It's it's <laughs> even worse than that if if that's possible. And the the funny thing is, this made me hate internet cat videos. Just oh for a little no, while. that's horrible. I know the the movie actually starts off with a bunch of internet cat videos, and I'm like, hey, this isn't so bad. And then I'm like, you know what? If I would have just watched internet cat videos for an hour and a half, I would have had a better time than, than watching this piece of garbage. Yeah, how about this? I'll just, next time you want to go see a movie like that, I'll just send you the 10-hour loop of the Nyan cat video, and that'll probably be more entertaining. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be great. I, I, would, I would definitely do that. Who? I just want to know who wrote this script, who thought it was a good idea, and Barry Sonnenfeld. What... Take the keys away from him. No, you're in movie timeout now. You're not allowed to make movies for a while. Just, there's no excuse. Bad. Bad. We do that outside. Or at least in the litter box. So, uh... Yeah. Uh, Moving up to my number four, uh, based on the really, really craptacular Dan Brown book, uh, you've got Inferno, uh, which is the third book in the uh, Robert Langdon series. So, Going in, I was worried because, first of all, Ron Howard hasn't made a good movie in a while. And the first two movies of the series weren't that great either, but they were at least somewhat enjoyable. Inferno was the book of I almost rage quit, but I had to power on through because I just I had to. And at least the ending was 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 satisfying for me. So take Inferno the movie, uh, and we've got <clears throat> great people. Tom Hanks, he was one of the best actors this year in Sully. Uh, you've got... Uh, Felicity Jones, we love her. We just talked about her in *A Monster Calls*. Ben Foster will probably get some Oscar love for uh, uh, *Hell or High Water*. So we've got very, very talented people in this movie, but it's so boring. It's one of the most boring things I've ever seen. I almost fell asleep a couple times, and in the end, they changed the ending to have a happy ending. And the whole point was that no, it's not supposed to have a happy ending because this character Ben Foster, he's he's kind of like the Ultron in the in this movie he's right you know there's too many people on the earth they're like a plague they you know we need to call them well the way they go about it the book makes sense and it's not quite as horrible as releasing a plague that destroys billions of people but oh it just horribly acted uh you couldn't have tom hanks phoning this performance in any more than if he had a phone taped literal phone taped to his head and it's just a waste of everyone involved uh you know ron howard your daughter's very very talented let her take over the family business, um, and you just go into retirement and watch reruns of Happy Days. There's a great Simpsons episode where he's, like, following Homer Simpson around, and 
Homer pitches a movie about a guy who goes back in time with a pie for some reason. Mm -hmm. And, like, Ron Howard goes and pitches that. And they're like, Howard, you're a genius. And they give him this giant sack of money. That's all that I think that Ron Howard is doing these days. Well, it also reminds me of the family guy with, uh, you know, showing Stephen King, you know, talking about his new novel. He's like, all right, cool. So here we are. We're in the backwoods. And there's a, there's a. He looks at the agent's desk and sees a lamp. He's like, ooh, there's a scary lamp monster. Ooh. He's like, is that all you have? He's like, ooh. He's like, when can I have it? (laughs) I wanted them to release the virus at the end of the movie so that there wouldn't, there would be a violent plague in universe and we wouldn't have to sit through another one of these. But that's what they do in the book. When they, it's it's like the, it's like the Watchmen. When they find the bomb and the, the thing in the end of the book, it went off hours before, and the the plague in the book actually wasn't the plague that kills people. It just made like ninety percent of the world sterile, so they couldn't reproduce anymore. So, no, I wanted everyone yeah. to die. I wanted everyone to die at, in a inferno fire and like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Never Arcades. to be one of these movies again. Yeah. <laughs> stop, no. Oh, just please stop. I mean, Robert, you know, Dan Brown, quit writing books. You're not a good author. You intrigued me when I was in my 20s, and I was young and dumb, and probably drunk half the time. Uh, yeah. Don't, just, you both, no, no, stop. Yeah. So, my number three, um, speaking of ancient cultures uh, and misappropriating them, we have Gods of Egypt. Oh, the Egyptian which, movie about white people? Yes, the Egyptian movie that doesn't have any actual Egyptians in it. <laughs> This was just awful. And that's actually the part of the movie that I've heard makes the most sense. Maybe. But this this was stupid. It was boring. The action sequences were terrible. I don't know what happened to Alex Proyas. He used to be incredible. I loved some of his earlier work. I don't know what he was doing here. But the guy must have been high on some crack or something because this was just unexcusably bad and everyone was terrible in this movie. Don't go see it. Not, I mean, maybe you could riff on this because it is, it is pretty terrible. You could definitely make fun of Gerard Butler a lot, a lot, a lot because he's in full on chewing on scenery Gerard Butler mode. But, you know, beyond that, it's, it's just really terrible. I, I think what happened to Alex Proyas is he got pissed that Wachowski stole all of his ideas from Dark City and made the Matrix <laughs> get a royalty check. Yeah. Um, I'd be pretty bitter too. Yeah. The Dark City was good. The Crow was good. Uh, iRobot was even pretty good, which also has Alan Tudyk as a robot 15 oh. years before uh, before Rogue One. So that's beautiful. Before, before he did Rogue, Rogue One and pissed off Anthony Daniels. So... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, he's he's a fine robot actor. He he does great uh, mocap and voice work. I think uh, Alan Tudyk wins in the in the voiceover world more than Anthony Daniels does. So. <laughs> Daniels can can suck on all of those corn dogs and yeah. <laughs> so Cut so out. my number three uh, is Suicide Squad. Now the reason Ooh. why this film's higher on my list. Shots fired. And, yeah. My problem with this movie, well, there's a lot of problems, but it comes back to the marketing. Uh, I was really excited for this. I went in thinking it was going to be a good movie. I was really interested to see it. The uh, trailers looked fun. 
And then you get in and you realize that the best parts of the movies were in the trailer and everything that happens aside from having Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn and uh, Will Smith as that was a dead shot. They're the only interesting people in this movie. And now, apparently, I haven't seen it yet, but people are saying that the extended cut does add a little bit. Uh, but doesn't make up for this movie's sins like Batman vs. Superman did, because that was that extended cut was amazing. Um, but yeah, the whole time I was watching, I was getting more and more restless, more and more upset, and just bored, and I kept on thinking, this feels like it's two different movies wrapped into one. Lo and behold, David Ayer filmed one version of it, Warner Brothers got scared because it was too dark, so they filmed a second version that was funnier and mashed them together. Warner Brothers, stop effing with your directors. Let them do what they want. Hopefully coming up with the new like Justice League and Aquaman, now that Jeff Johns, who is you know, head of DC Comics, will be able to come in and actually be in charge of the DC movies, maybe he can tell them to F off and stop meddling because I have a feeling that the original cut that David Ayer made was excellent and we will never see that. Yeah, I think they got some Deadpool envy and some Deadpool scaredy and they're like, oh, our, our movie should be funny. And it should be more playful. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know why you decided to make a Suicide Squad movie in the first place, but there were some definite problems in that I... It's not in my top five for worst movies of the year. It actually made it at the very tail end of my top 30, which we will have to kind of agree to disagree on, on this. <laughs> I, that's fine. That's, I didn't again, that's... hate it. I didn't hate it, and, and I actually liked it the tiniest bit more than than Batman v Superman, which I thought had even worse problems. But yeah, DC really needs to get their crap together, because they're just failing to make cohesive projects out, out of it. And once again, Jared Leto, I just, I don't know what he was doing in this movie. He was ridiculous, and his Joker makes zero sense the Cesar Romero Joker surfing in 1960s Batman makes more sense <laughs> to who the Joker is than whatever Jared Leto was doing in this movie I don't get it yeah, it's yeah. it was just weird and, and the reason why this does like I said kind of end up higher on my my top five uh, was the same thing I had last year with Fantastic Four and Pixels why I liked Fantastic Four less than Pixels is because you go into an Adam Sandler movie, you're expecting crap. You, you know what Adam Sandler does when he's in charge, and that's what you get. Whereas with Fantastic Four, Josh Trank did uh, Chronicle, which I loved. I had a fun time with that, and yeah. knowing that he was in charge of this new iteration of Fantastic Four gave me hope. And when hope gets squashed, there's nothing worse. And that's the same thing with this movie. I was so excited. I mean, I watched some of those trailers. I must have seen both of them about 30 times. You know, we would put it on all the time because it looked like so much fun. It was kind of be like the anti Guardians of the Galaxy, and it, it couldn't catch the paycheck that it wrote. So that's that's why it's my uh, my number three. Yeah, I get that. Well, a movie with far worse sins than that, in my opinion, is Collateral Beauty, and we talked about this just a few weeks ago. So I won't go into it that much more. But again, I say this is an Oscar movie for stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what dumb people think that a prestige drama should be like. You should not gaslight your friends and make them think that they're going crazy. And you should not have, oh, are they angels or uh, are they the actual embodiment of death and love and 
time and no 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 every single person in this movie you were terrible in it except for Michael Pena who was kind of on point but yes this was awful 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 yeah and that, that was the one terrible. so I was going to go actually see that on oh uh, no a thir- on Thursday or Friday one of the days and then please don't well I just don't I have to know how bad it is like I can't vote for or against it until I know uh <sighs> And I get him for free, so I will. I will put no oh, money okay. towards its bottom line. Uh, but we okay. have seen Assassin's Creed, which actually, uh, I, I, if I had to review, I give it a five. Uh, so it, it's it's not as bad as everyone's saying, but it definitely had a lot yeah. of problems. But so we yeah. ended up seeing that, and I think in the long run, I I walked out happier than had I seen Collateral Beauty. Yeah, you would have because at least Assassin's Creed has a couple of cool things in it. Yeah, it it missed the point on a lot of things, but it's not collateral beauty, which just was just terrible. Adam, what's your number two? So actually, I'm going to surprise you with this one because I switched it up Uh, Uh because we talked before and to see kind of where our our things lie. So my number two is your number five. Uh, It's the Greasy Strangler, and you know we we talked about it actually a couple times once when I saw it at Sundance, once when you saw it, and we've kind Mm -hmm. of made fun of it throughout time. the reason why I switched it was because there were parts of it that I thought were funny in the John Waters type of way it was trying to be until it just became disgusting for its own self sake and reset the story and did the stuff all over again and just became beyond stupid. The only reason why I gave this a less of a pass, more of a pass than my number one movie uh, was because there's still two stupid lines from that damn movie I keep saying. And as much as I hate them, they're now part of my vernacular. And so for that, Rudy Tootie, will... Disco Cutie, and, and you're a bullshit, bullshit artist. artist. Yeah. Yes. So those two things have stuck in my head ever since I saw it. And you, me, and Brooks say it all the time. At least I say it to him all the time. So that saved it from being the worst movie of the year for me. So this was, I mean, this was a movie by bullshit artists for bullshit <laughs> artists. A year of bullshit artists. So. Yeah. That's why this was the movie of the year, and it, it that most embodied the spirit of 2016. It was weird and distasteful and gross and irreverent, and and trying to push all of the buttons just to push buttons. There, at least with John Waters, I always felt like he kind of loved his usual gang of misfits and dope addicts and yeah and crazy people and it, there was some care in it in like hey there are these there's this entire counterculture out there that you normies have no idea about and you can relate to these people if you don't fit the mold and it's like oh wow that's really cool this the greasy strangler felt like it was based on the idea of what is aesthetically pleasing what would make logical sense in a situation like this well guess what I'm going to do the opposite it's like the George Costanza movie of instead of having you know a father and son living together trying to run a business they run the worst disco tour of Los Angeles and the dad greases himself up at night and goes out and murders people. Yeah, and, and they borrow the prosthetic penis from Boogie Nights and use it over and over again in a car wash. And <laughs> I, I have to say, that's the, the first only time I saw that. Me. I laughed 
I did laugh really hard. Um, yep. it, it's funny because you know people always ask if you ever walked out of a movie, and I'm like, yes, there's two movies I walked out of uh, a long time ago, but that was before I was reviewing them. So my viewpoint is I can't ethically review something I didn't sit all the way through. Uh, so yeah. I was I've never been more jealous of anyone in my life than when uh, Brooks and I saw this at Sundance, and when they do the press industry industry screenings, it's in this theater up in Park City. And so the people in with you, they're either studio people who are out there, like, checking out the movies to make a deal, to buy it, or it could be critics like us. And the, the theater actually was 100% full when we went and saw it. I mean, this was actually a pretty hyped-up movie. Like, everyone was saying, this is the go-to midnight movie to see at Sundance. Um, I've never have seen more people walk out of a movie than this one did. I think there were maybe 10 of us left at the end. And I've never been so jealous of <laughs> industry execs who could leave because I didn't want to buy it because I was stuck there or I couldn't talk about it and ugh I'm almost tempted when it comes out to get a bootleg copy just to show people to see how long they can last before they get pissed and walk away well I mean the people behind it are some amazing people one of them is Tim League who is the CEO of Alamo Drafthouse who I love dearly and I love his entire ethos around movies and movie theaters Love the Alamo Draft House. Love Tim. Love everything that he's doing, except for this movie. I I don't get it. I I mean, I kind of get maybe what he was kind of going for, but it was just so off the mark of that, and yeah. and not anything that I I feel deserves like the Alamo Draft House stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. So, question: um, You did you see this at uh, South by Southwest? I did. Okay, didn't you? Now, did you have a chance, or did you interview the director? I thought you. Told, I thought you I mentioned. I did. One yeah, time. I, I interviewed the director and the cast. Yeah, in in the Alamo Drafthouse offices. It was very nice. They're really nice people. The director did not like my take on the movie mm-hmm. when when I asked him, like, did you try and like literally try and make the most distasteful thing out there and he's like no no I I just I thought that this would be very different and and very interesting and I'm like no it's just gross (laughs) it's very different you got that part right it is it is different but it's not it's not good there's there's a lot of nudity in this movie and none of it is sexy. Yeah, no, no. You, these are people. This movie is filled with people you do not want to see naked, and they're naked the entire movie. And they're so. naked a lot. Yeah. So, all right, Andy. I think we've 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 gone on about this enough. So, what's your worst movie of the year? Oh, Mother's Day. And see, that was another one I had to work through. <laughs> yeah, you were very lucky. Um, Gary Marshall, his final one of these movies uh, where he takes Pacific Holiday and crams a bunch of stories in together to try and weave a message through it. The biggest problem with this movie was not just that all of all of the stories are trite and terrible, which they are, but that the humor in the movie was so distasteful in and of itself. No matter who you are, whether you identify as liberal or conservative, whether you are a white person, whether you are a person of color, whether you are religious or atheist, whether you are gay or straight, this movie is making fun of you. It is not laughing with you. It is laughing at you. 
every single person is a target in this movie. And if you're a liberal, it thinks you're dumb and uppity. And if you're conservative, then you're stupid and bigoted and racist. And it's just awful. Everyone is terrible in this movie. None of it is any good. I feel bad saying terrible things about Gary Marshall after he died. But at least he's never going to make another one of these movies. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Marshall made some amazing things in the past. And I think on balance, he was a very good director, very good producer, created many great things. This was not one of them. Just as Wes Craven's last movie was a disservice to the memory of Wes Craven, Mother's Day is a disservice to Gary Marshall. And it is the worst movie of 2016. I'm sorry, Gary. May you rest in peace. In hell. Um, so, so my <laughs> my worst movie of the year, um, and I I changed it up over Greasy Strangler because one, Greasy Strangler made me laugh twice, and mm-hmm. I'm still saying those damn lines. This was the only movie of the year that as I walked out, I flipped off the screen. Um, and that would be Independence Day Resurgence. Uh, this so Roland Emmerich needs to take the path of Gary Marshall and go away. Uh, you haven't made a good movie um, ever. I'm at your film filmography never. You are just a shitty director who just should stop making movies. Uh, here, look at the first Independence Day. It's corny. It's dumb as hell, and it's a horrible movie that I love dearly because I saw it when I was like 17 years old or 16 years old and. It was like one of the biggest summer blockbusters I remember as a kid, and it it was fun. I I can still, if I'm flipping channels and it's on, I'll watch it because I have a good time with it. This movie is pretty much the exact same thing, except set 20 years later and about 50 times as dumb. I mean, it's so dumb, Will Smith wouldn't come back and do it. Will Smith did After Earth and Suicide Squad. So the man will work work for anyone. And Collateral Beauty. And Collateral Beauty. So he's on our list multiple times so the way they wrote him out was oh at the very beginning of the movie there's like an opening paragraph um oh he was training on the uh, new alien ships and they crashed and he died yeah. uh, that's almost as bad as maximum overdrive where at the very very end like a paragraph pops up that said after everything was done an alien ship came out of the clouds and actually maximum overdrive is a masterpiece compared to this movie uh, watching it makes you feel dumber jeff goldblum I, god bless the man i love you you, just, you don't have what you had 20 years ago. Uh, you know, Maybe come back in Jurassic Park or Jurassic World 2 and, and show us what you got there. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, just because their script writers and directors say that you could do something, you were so obsessed with whether you could make an Independence Day re- resurgence sequel, you didn't think uh, if you should. Yeah, or you maybe they, they were franchise. like, you know, if you sign on the bottom line, we will bring a huge dump truck full of $100 bills and dump them in your front yard, and you can roll around in it like Scrooge McDuck. Hey, no. I would do this movie for that. So maybe that's what happened. Who knows? All I know is at the end of it, I felt dumber for watching it. It was... Everything about it was bad. And, oh, it just... It makes me angry just thinking about it, because it came out at work, and um, we sold out of it for some godforsaken reason, and... Every time because I see someone buying it, I'm like, I wanted to go and like hold a sign next to it, just explain how crappy of a movie this was. 
Uh, Liam Hensworth, obviously you have no talent. Go away, please. Um, your brother Aww. got all those genes. It's there's nothing worth watching here. At least the first one's fun. This one is just dire and dreadful and boring. And you know, watching them blow up like the the White House and the Empire State Building, the first one that was really cool. And they actually had to you know find a way to do some new special effects to make sure, make it look like the fire was rushing towards you. This one, the ship lands and it's like, oh, it's so big, it has its own gravity and yeah, magic. No, it's. It's just bad writing, bad acting, just bad everything. This movie, everyone involved with this movie should be punched in the genitals until they fall down on the ground crying. And that's what all I say. What was Judd Hirsch doing on a school bus in the middle of the desert? And why was the alien queen ship chasing him? Oh, no one, no one knows. And yeah, guess what? No, no one, one cares. That was like the pinnacle of awfulness in this movie. It got to that point and I'm like, oh, are you serious? Are you seriously serious? Oh, this was just terrible. This this didn't make it in my top five because I knew this was going to be terrible. Because every single one of Roland Emmerich's movies, especially lately, has just been so terrible. I feel like this is the movie that we deserved. Like, America, you have spoken. You get an Independence Day sequel. Because and you yes, a double feature with a greasy strangler. Because yes, you really are that dumb, and that's what you deserve. You <laughs> don't deserve La La Land. You don't deserve Rogue One. You get Independence Day resurgence. There yeah. you go. So, yeah. and again, we, we don't go in hoping these are bad movies. Like I, I went in legitimately no. hoping it would be fun, like at least as fun as the first one. And oh no, it just the fact that it even that, exists pains me. That first trailer, I was like, well, this might be okay. Yeah. Might be okay. The first 15 minutes, I remained hopeful. Well, I, I wasn't as hopeful after that. Like, um, Will Smith died off screen in a training accident. <laughs> and Poochie had to go back to his home planet. <laughs> I was like, that tipped me off. Exactly. That this was, like, was going to be so, so, yeah. So, anyways, there you go. Those are our worst movies of the year. Uh, if you think we are wrong or if you have some more to post about that uh please definitely leave us a note on our facebook page uh, underneath uh when we post this you know tomorrow or the next day yep. but yeah so thankfully like i said we started out with something really good a monster calls we both loved it definitely check it out uh next week we're gonna have for you uh martin scorsese's silence uh we've got patriots day which is the story about the marathon boston marathon bombing uh, directed by the same director as deep water horizon and then uh live by night and andy i'm not familiar with that one uh, that's Ben Affleck uh, back in the days of Gangsters and Bootleggers. Okay, so yep. some fun stuff. So, yep. And then possibly the Bye Bye Man, if I can squeeze it in. Um, I had to choose between Bye Bye Man and Silence, and I will always choose Scorsese over horror. So, uh, and, and I've seen Silence, and, and that's a heck of a movie. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, it's, it's definitely one where you want to go pee first because you won't be able to leave for a while. <laughs> or, or download the, the Run P app so you know what to, when you should exit the movie to uh, to take care of business. But uh, I don't know if you can. There's too much in that movie that you don't. I don't think you want to leave. Oh, it's, uh, okay. It's rough. So, so definitely, and don't don't bring a soda in. You're cause you'll yeah you'll die. So pee first. Don't bring a soda, and then bring an empty bottle. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, anyways, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon.
everybody, man. <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs>